0: Hi everybody, Eric Bailey and Eli Letterman talking everything OU athletics on our Tulsa World podcast. It's our weekly meeting where we talk about everything OU related and, uh, you know, it seems like it'd be a slow time, but nothing slows down. We have to talk about, Eric. We have a lot to talk about. Uh, it, it's going to be another fun weekend, uh, but I, you know... I, my favorite thing about my job is getting to tell stories that aren't usually told. It's not about, you know, how this team shot on this particular day or how many home runs this batter hit. It's kind of the off-the-beaten-path story. And I know you you had a good one this week that me and you have been talking about for a month. You've been working on this for a, for a while. And uh, it made print uh, this week. And uh, it's about an OU basketball, men's basketball analyst, who lives in a van outside the Lloyd Noble Center, uh so he doesn't have a home uh you, you see all these tiktoks about people who live in their vans tell us about doc saddler eli you, you wrote an amazing story uh fun story it's a great read just tell us about
1: doc well i appreciate that and i'll, I'll start out here because there was i guess some slight he, he is voluntarily living in a van this is a choice <laughs> he's chosen the van life but i guess i mean there's two places to start with doc Sadler. one is we're talking about a basketball lifer who began his career in basketball as a student manager with Eddie Sutton at at Arkansas in 1979 and didn't leave basketball for the next 45 years, just jumped around. He spent, I mean, it it took him about 20 years as an assistant before he even got a head coaching job. So he already had a career, you know, a a career enough as an assistant before even getting into head coaching, but had stops at UTEP, Nebraska, Southern Miss um, before... Uh, kind of a, a similar role to what he has now at OU at Nebraska. He went back there as an assistant under Fred Hoiberg the last few years and then decided to retire uh, and said I was he was going to take it a step back. Uh, and so he and his wife, Tanya, bought this camper van. Uh, it's nice. I've been in it. Uh, it's it's the kind that you can travel in. You can drive cross-country, and that's what they planned to do with with the time they finally had was to see the world. And they started to. They, they made trips. Uh, but then six days before used men's basketball season, Porter Moser, uh, had Matt Brady, an assistant he'd hired in the summer, resigned abruptly. And uh, and his call was to Doc Sadler, a friend of 30 years. They'd met in Texas when Porter was an assistant uh, at, at A&M. And Doc Sadler was at Texas Tech. They'd been in Arkansas together, overlapping. And uh, and Porter wanted him here. And, and so Doc made the decision to kind of drop retirement, at least temporarily. Uh, and and when he chose to do that, he, he didn't want to live in a hotel. He didn't want to live in a, in a rental apartment. He chose to, to to bring the camper van. It's known as the Doxter. And he parked it. And, you know, there's some numbers in the story, but it's it's a few hundred yards from the Lloyd Noble Center. You've you, if you've been to uh, to a hoops game there this year, you've probably seen it and, and not thought anything of it.
0: You know, it's great. We've got some great uh pictures by Daniel Schuler, Tulsa World photographer, online at Tulsaworld.com, uh showing the Doxter. Uh I had a chance to drive by it last night when I was covering a basketball game, and it's amazing. It it Fits right in, and it's not as big as you think. I, you know, when you first told me this story about the story idea, I envisioned a huge,
1: like really an RV, right? Big
0: RV, yeah, you know, where you know, just took up a lot of space. This isn't that big. I mean, it, it typically, it it is perfect for one or two people. It really is, and and it really almost uh, inspires me to do something like this because I thought it's a cool van, <laughs> and uh, you know, you're in your story. You had a great part about the size of the van uh, driving through Boston. Can you tell that story a little bit? Yeah.
1: More? Well, so the dimensions are—it's 21 feet long, about six foot three inches wide, uh, and and nine and nine point uh, nine feet four inches uh, in height. And and yeah, Doc was telling me, you know, they took it to the Northeast, Tim and Tanya, this summer. Been—it's driven through Times Square. They went up to uh, to New England, and he was in Boston. He said on the highway, and he saw some something about the clearance, and it was bef- pretty early after he bought it, and he he was you know going down the highway and thinking to himself. I don't know if I'm going to make this clearance. I might scrape the roof off of this thing. Uh, and, and so there really were just those fun little anecdotes in it that any of us you know, would either think of if you someone told you they live in a van or if you live in a van, it turns out like these are the problems you have to consider. And there's things like that. I mean, another issue that popped up for Doc really recently, as recently as Sunday, uh, were, were the tornadoes that swept through Norman. And I, I was actually thinking about him Sunday night as I was writing this because we talked about it. You know, he said the wind just on a normal night in Norman, it's unprotected in a parking lot, will kind of rock the van back and forth. A tornado, you know, when, when you're on the, watching the news and you hear David Payne telling you, uh, you know, mo- mobile homes are no longer safe, you, you wonder. So he parked it in a garage uh, and spent the night in the coach's lounge at Lloyd Noble Center. Uh, <laughs> and better yet, to really cap it off, uh, this, the, the tornadoes required some disaster relief, and and so the next day... Doc had all these new neighbors in the parking lot. It was a fleet of disaster relief vehicles and emergency mm-hmm. response workers from, from all over the country. And, and he even tweeted that out. And so uh, I, I think another thing that's just probably worth getting in here, and, and I hope it comes through in the stories, that Doc really does have a tremendous spirit and a sense of humor. And it, it came through in, in my interactions or has in my interactions with him. And also you know talking to Porter Moser and, and the players, you know, he, he can't coach on court in his role. He's an advisor, technically. But he has been an asset for them. And, and what's been a really disappointing season for the Sooners, he's brought, uh, I think, a lot to the table.
0: It was a fun – it's a very fun read. If you get a chance to read it, it's still uh, You know, uh, you know there's so much in that story. He talks a lot about his history, how, you know, his ties to Oklahoma State, ties to Arkansas, where he started in Arkansas – uh, talked about Bill Raffert, Raffer, Rafferty. Yeah,
1: Raff, Rafferty. Rafferty. Yeah, Rafferty. Yeah.
0: Man. I'm gonna say onions. The guy who said <laughs> onions in man to man. I can't ever say he say his last name. Talked about how he when he when he called the game called the game. Which game did he call? Do you remember? Was it OU? Uh,
1: he was there for OU Kansas in February. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, he he took a visit out there to see the van. He had to see the van, so I thought that was pretty cool too. So, great story, and and again, th- these are the kind of stories that are fun for us to write. It's off the beaten path. You put a little bit of time into it. You get to. It, it it always excites me to write a story like this because you learn more and more about the individual you're writing about and things you just didn't know. You learn, and then when you get to send send that to the reader and and and, and educate them a little bit, it's a lot of fun. So get a chance to read this story. Take a chance to read it.
1: I'll give you two more notes on it, and then we'll get on to all the other stuff. We've got to talk about what has been really cool. I think a cool wrinkle the dot coming back is he's coached in this region for so long. He never got into Oklahoma coaching here. He did grow up a huge Barry Switzer Sooners fan in Arkansas. Uh, and it's funny that he later worked for Tom Osborne at, at Nebraska. But he has had the chance. I've seen it before every game. He knows everybody <laughs> because he's been around here and he's been around the Big 12 and, and the old Southwest Conference. And it doesn't matter who, what team is in town or where he is on the road, there is some old friend on some other staff. And it, it has been kind of a joy, even from afar, to just watch him get to reconnect and, and to have, uh, you know, just, just all these relationships he's got. It's amazing, I guess, watching what someone can compile over 45 years in the game. It's a testament to what a good life in basketball, I think, can, can give you. The other note, you know, this is a, a a nice, you know, at times light story. We're talking about a guy who lives in a van in a parking lot. But if you want to know like, the what he's done for Porter Moser and what has been a really difficult second season, there's just this passage here that Porter told me about where the big thing for him with having Doc was having somebody on his staff who understood what it was like to be a head coach who'd sat in his seat. You know, I've heard Fred Hoiberg said the same thing to me, that unless you've been a head coach, you can think you know what it's like, you can think you know what you're going through, but you can't. His assistants don't know it, but Doc does. And and so after the that Oklahoma state loss at home on February 1st, Porter had planned to to take off his weekly on his weekly, weekly radio show, send an assistant, to go watch his son play a high school basketball game. The sooners got blown out in bedlam. Porter knew he did not, you know, he couldn't skip out. He had to go face that music. And Doc understood that. And that that to me really summed up what it is Porter Moser wanted out of Doc Sadler. And I think the role he's filled. So there's there's a mix here. There's the fun, light parts. But if you want to know about somebody who's been really important to the head coach of this team and, and part of it in a really difficult season, you know, that, that is there, too, with, with Doc Sadler.
0: You know, it's funny, too. I'm going to start calling everybody pal. Hey, pal. How you doing? There talking? you go. I think that's his. That's what he calls everybody. That's what
1: pal, he calls right? everybody. And everybody. he's got guys like Jalen Hill calling people pal. That was another thing Porter noted was that, you know, his spirit just has seeped in and he's got players, um you know, using docisms at, <laughs> at random. And, and so the, the impact has really been full spectrum in that regard.
0: Another tough night for the Sooners last night. They go up to Manhattan and uh, I think they're locked into the 10 seed for next week's big 12 tournament, um, which means uh, one senior night this, this weekend, uh, one final game for uh, for a handful of OU players, I think. And and also, um, just, you know, what what kind of momentum are they trying to build going into, you know, really anything can happen. Once you get to March postseason, anything can happen. We've, we see all these crazy stories in March. You know, Oklahoma would have to string together four hard-fought wins on four straight days to make the NCAA tournament. Uh, what's the goal going into the finale against TCU, a ranked TCU team, and, and how do you think this team's going to finish, Eli?
1: Yeah, I, I think last night, as crazy as it sounds, you still could have done some contorting to say, well, they went out in the regular season and made you know, a run to the finals in Kansas City. Could they, maybe, could they maybe get themselves back in the conversation? Would that do it? Because obviously, if it, were they to go on a magical run and win the Big 12 tournament, automatic bid they're in. But there was still going into the game last night in Manhattan, I think, at least some outside hope. That they, you know, even if it was lofty to begin with, but that they could go on a run, and uh, and they went to to Kansas State and they hung early. They they came out well, and then they closed the first half uh, on on the wrong end of a 9-0 run, and then uh, you know it didn't take long after halftime. We were uh, I'm looking at the numbers now. It's 55-37, thirty seven seven minutes into the second half. So the, on either side of halftime last night. They just lost it. I mean, they, they lost it again, as has been the case throughout all of Big 12 play. They're playing great teams, and, and you're seeing it. You're seeing the very best of the Big 12, unfortunately, too often against OU because you're seeing just how capable these other teams are. So uh, you had good performances. Uh, Los Uzan, 20 points. Otega Oway, 18. That's 38 points from your two true freshmen. Do you want to look toward beyond this year? That's something to be excited about. But the outlook now, I, I think. It gets tough. This is a team, I've said it on here for weeks because it's been the case for several months. They've not won consecutive games since mid-December. December 17th over Central Arkansas and December 20th over Florida. So that that was where, you know, even in the the lofty projection of maybe they could go make a run, it's got to start with winning two straight games. And and the the fight has been there. You can't blame them for, for giving up. There's other teams, I think, who have had far easier seasons who've probably given up this time of year. They haven't, but they're playing the best teams in the country. They will remain playing the best teams in the country as long as they're playing this year. And that's where I think, you know, building momentum is still there. A win against TCU would send them into, into Kansas City looking a lot better. I just don't know that there's anything to indicate at this point that, that they have what it takes to go on that run they need.
0: A good sign last night, uh, and not just for basketball, was seeing young Cortez Yes. Again. That was a good sign, too, because uh, he, what, two games? Is that how many he missed?
1: Yeah, he missed two games and, and stepped away for personal reasons. Um, and, you know, program was supportive. Porter, Porter Moser publicly was very supportive and, you know, said back with open arms whenever he's ready. Uh, on, on Tuesday, he, you know, he didn't indicate whether last night would be the return. He said, you know, day to day, we're just going to take this as it comes. But it was really nice to see Bijan back out there. Um, and, and hopefully doing well. And, you know, another one, Jacob Groves, he had his big breakout out of a huge slump. I mean, there were times over the last month and a half where I, I think it, it's fair to say he was at times unplayable. He broke out against Iowa State, and then I was curious to see how he'd follow. And last night, four or five from the field, two, three for, from three point, 11 points. That's the Jacob Groves they needed at, at other times this year. And uh, it is at least nice to see him finding that form again here in the end.
0: Especially finish up strong playing with his brother yeah. I mean it's been a special relationship with him and his brother getting to play together so we're seeing it come to an end I know they want to relish that
1: and it, it is worth noting just that as we go into the offseason here everyone but Tanner Groves can return next year doesn't okay. mean they will but this this could be the, the core of a team and you know, I think there are, there are probably some Sooner fans who see that and that drives them mad because they've been frustrated a lot this season but they're the, the foundation can be there. And what Porter Moser has spoken about so often has been needing time and needing that core. And, and so this, this could be a, a lot of the same guys that they bring back next year. And I, I'd imagine they're going to hope to add in the portal.
0: And that's how Porter built his teams at Loyola, too. I mean, he he built – he set a foundation. They became old players under his program. They bought into his system, bought into his culture, and that's how they became good. So yeah. if you're an Oklahoma fan, I think you're hoping he can build that – you know, start that foundation and build it from year one to year two to year three to year four. By year three and year four, it's hard to be impatient. You'll see the product of what he built early. And he's not a bad coach. That's the thing. I mean, you look at the success. His success speaks for himself. So just a tough year for the Sooners. Uh, though you women, uh, boy, they have a chance to win a share of a Big 12 championship if they uh, win at Bedlam on Saturday. A close game Wednesday night last night, or t- yeah, last night Wednesday night, 98-86 win at, uh, over Kansas State. They were down four with 28 seconds left. K State misses three or four free throws. They run a great sideline play uh, where Skyler Van gets, you know, inbounds to pass to Maddie Williams. It's kind of a give and go from the sideline. And she crashes and makes a an, uh, layup with uh, about 1 point, I think 1.4 seconds to go to send the game into overtime. Taylor Robertson hits a three and they never trail in the final period. Uh, just a, a great game. You know, the funny thing, Eli, about this game was Taylor Robertson um, she came to the huddle when it went into overtime, she came to the huddle and she was crying and 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 then the players explained to us she, she's real emotional and she was she explained, she said she was so excited that it was an overtime she didn't want to lose and she was pumped <laughs> up and she even admitted this isn't the first time I cried and Jeannie Branchek, she made me really laugh because she she said yeah Taylor's over here crying and we're like Taylor and she's smiling and laughing when she says this she says Taylor you need to get your stuff together I, stuff. I'm sure
1: that's I'm sure that's the word yeah, well,
0: Ginny asked us to edit out the real word. <laughs> laughter she said her quote uh get your stuff together because there's still basketball to be played so uh it, it was it was a really good reason to celebrate these three seniors maddie williams anna Lunusa, and uh taylor robertson their final game final regular season game at lloyd noble center uh the three of them have you know played five five and six years lanusa's been there six years so they, you know they're they've they've grown up in this in this broke in this uh gym they're you know lanusa's 24 years old uh you know she's she's You know, almost mid, she's mid 20s now. And, but she's a, a young lady from Choctaw and she loves OU basketball. Now it goes down to Bedlam. They're going to go down to Stillwater and see if they can win that game. You know, if they win, they get a share of the Big 12 title. If uh, Texas loses at K-State on Saturday, they're the sole uh, – they're the winner. They're the, the the sole champion of the Big 12, and they get the one seed up in Kansas City next week. So uh big win for the Sooners. There's still stuff to work on. You know, they had a 30-8 to lead early in the second quarter and let that lead get away. Third quarter, they just came out flat after halftime. And Gabby Gregory, a Holland Hall graduate from here in Tulsa who played – the last few seasons at OU and transferred to K-State really sparked the second-half comeback by the Wildcats. So uh, it was a great basketball game, and all their games were fun to watch. And, and, and they really felt like – another thing is they really felt like they really needed to redeem themselves after really having a, a dud of a game Saturday against Texas.
1: Well, you mentioned those seniors, and I wanted to pull out – go back to a quote that Vic Schaefer, the Texas coach, had from after that game. I mean, I was there on hand for that, uh, where you know OU looked very un-OU-like. Uh, against Texas and that now they've kind of clawed back into this big 12 regular season title race but Vic Schaefer afterward they they really shut down that trio of Maddie Williams Taylor Robertson and Anna Lanusa and here's what he said after he said this was in reference to Maddie Williams and Taylor Robertson it's like playing Roger Maris and Mickey Mantle They're third and fourth leading scorers in the history of Oklahoma and they're both neck and neck and then you've got Anna if she hadn't been hurt she'd probably be one or two the kid is an offensive machine and so the respect for those three seniors they've got is, is really present across college basketball. Their names are going to remain in the record books long after they're here. Uh, and, and so it is quite a trio they sent off last night. And, and the good news uh, is they've got a whole lot more to play for uh, after last night and, and in the coming weeks, which I think is quite exciting
0: we get to this time of year Eli we talk basketball and of course it's march so we're going to talk basketball basketball heavy i mean this is the month when when uh, march madness hits but there's still time for football we're getting ready for spring football too that's going to start in a few weeks uh, that'll be here before you know it we're just uh, about 3 weeks away from that so that you know it's like christmas and christmas in the in the spring for all you football fans but this week's an important week for some of the outgoing players who are taking place in the Combine. Uh, OU sent seven to the Combine this year. Uh, Eric Gray, Anton Harrison, Marvin Mims, Wanya Morris, Jalen Redman, Michael Turk, and Braden Willis. Biggest interview of their lives. They're going to, you know, get poked and prodded during medical evaluations. They're going to meet nfl teams where they're going to ask some of the weirdest questions and they got to answer you know correctly uh they're they're going to meet the media and and, you know they're going to answer tough questions about from the media and then the biggest thing is the on-field performance i mean we're seeing it on tv everything they do from the 40 to you know to running routes to to blocking drills everything's going to be on on tv on the nfl network uh, it it's, it's going to be a fun weekend for a lot of these guys. Uh, it may be a stressful weekend, but it's always neat seeing these guys prepare for that transition from college football to the NFL.
1: Yeah, I mean, you talk about the guys you're most excited to see there and see what they do. For me, it, it probably starts with Anton Harrison, yeah. who, you know, he, he was great last year, believe it or not. I mean, I'm looking at a, a mock draft and man, this time of year, you can look at mock drafts and it'll change over and over. You can get really caught up in it. Mm-hmm. But just in terms of where he could go, Mel Kuyper from ESPN has Anton Harrison at number 13 overall to the to the New York Jets right now. A- in a different ESPN mock draft, Matt Miller has him at 49th, so second round. But he's probably the guy, you know, that we've had so many years Eric, You we were there for a lot of them, of you know, t- first overall picks and, and first rounders. We're not looking at that kind of draft for the Sooners this year. But I think Anton Harrison is probably that guy who's locked in to maybe go first among them. And this could be a really big week for him. I mean, if someone like Mel Kiper projects him as high as that, it probably means that he's he's at least got some in, you know, the attention of a lot of these teams. So good week for him, whether it's in the drills or in these meetings, uh, could be really big. Another guy I'm excited about is, is uh, Michael Turk. Yeah, he, he may be the, the number one punter in this draft. And so, you know, don't wait around trying to hear his name day one or day two, maybe, but. Um, I I think he's going to be coveted as well. And it it is exciting to to see some of these guys we covered in Norman get their shot and get to kind of shine on on this national stage.
0: You know, I think it's a big weekend for uh, guys like Jalen Redman, who really out there and, and show these scouts what they can do. I mean, he's a guy, he's a you know, he's not, he didn't have the prototypical size, but, you know, can he play bigger than what he is? Can he play stronger than what he is? I think that they want to take a good look at Jalen Redmond and, and even Braden Willis. I mean, Oklahoma fans saw what he can do as versatility and, you know, and, and you're not going to meet a better character guy. I mean, just a, just an outgoing guy who's going to do anything for your franchise if you, if you draft him, but he needs to prove himself on the field. I, I, I think that's the big question mark with him. And, you know, maybe it's, you know, showing that, hey, I can be that special teams guy. I can do this. I can be a third down, blow you back. I can do whatever you need me to do. So I think for Braden Willis, he's going to win the interview sessions. Uh, it's just going out there on this on-field performance and showing what he can do with his athleticism and size and how he can help a team.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, going back, I wrote about him in the fall and, you know, he, he said it, that he came back to OU last fall in order to, to show NFL teams. I think he'd gotten the feedback. They're impressed with his blocking. They're impressed with some of those things that you do, but they wanted to see if he could catch passes. And he did that, uh, in, in the fall. And, and, you know, given the fact that he's essentially played fullback tight end and then receiving tight end, I think he's shown that he can do it all. I'll be curious, you know, if NFL teams agree or, or where they maybe see him, um, another guy's Eric Gray, like yeah. what are pro teams going to think of, of him? I think he's another one who shown versatility he Can catch passes. We know, uh, he ran the ball really well last year. I don't think you're talking about a, a number one running back right out the gate, but I I can imagine that a guy like him who's so experienced could maybe help a team, and and I wonder if he could help his own stock this week as well.
0: And and last thing about Eric too is it just the way he's he's willing to block. I think that's yeah. something to look at, and you know, willing to block is something Marvin Mims did too. We all know he can catch the ball, but he was a you know downfield blocker as well. Marvin Mims is another guy we're going to have to keep an eye on too to see you know where he fits in, and I think he's going to be one of those guys. That's you know, after Anton Harrison, I think Marvin Mims will probably be the second drafted player of this, uh, group of OU players. So, uh, NFL combine. Yeah. I'm pro day, uh, into the month, right. I do the 30th, uh, March 30th pro day. So yep. we'll get a chance to see a lot of these guys on March 30th. Will they work out? Will they won't? Will, maybe they won't, I don't know, but it'll be good just to catch up with these guys and see, you know, where they, go, where they, where they are going into the final month for the draft.
1: Well, um, Eric, we, we, we got, if we're moving on from there. I think the next logical place is, uh, is gymnastics. No.
0: One versus two Friday night, big,
1: big, big, big. Uh,
0: uh and, and, and it's everything's big, and and this is a process for the gymnastics program. You know, they they each month they make steps, make steps, make steps. Now they're coming up their final month, six 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 weeks of of gymnastics, and they're going to hit the ground running in March uh, with Florida coming to town.
1: It's this is kind of the start of I think the rest of their season. Really, this is March now. I, I wrote last week about how February was about kind of building up for this time of year. And now they're in it and they're diving headfirst in with a Florida team that they visited and lost to last year on their way to a national title, then beat them in April at at the NCAA championships. Uh, And and this tomorrow night, the the biggest thing in college, women's college gymnastics will be in Norman. Uh, I know KJ Kimler spoke this week. They're hoping for a crowd. uh, Crowd, you know, they talk about it all the time. These SEC programs like Florida, like LSU, they can count on on any given night 12,000 people to show up to a gymnastics meet. OU has had some great crowds. They they have that program record set against UCLA in 2019 of uh, 10,177. I, I think they'd like to take a stab at that. I don't know if it's going to happen tomorrow night, but this is big. Um, this is, as I said, the eyes of the women's gymnastics world will be on on Norman. And I think it's 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 kind of a dual thing of they this is something to measure themselves against. At the same time, it's it's an individual sport and it's. Uh, their season. You know, they're they're not playing for contention in the NCAA championships. They'll be there. They'll probably see Florida there. So this this can just be, I think, a measuring stick at a pretty critical time of the year, um, and a chance for them to to see where they stack up. I mean, they haven't met anyone yet who's been on their level. We'll see if Florida can can give them a good run.
0: March Madness. It is not just basketball. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and finally, the Diamond Sports uh, Oklahoma softball back to number one. Uh, Eli fourteen to nothing win over. Previous number one UCLA, six home runs. They had 20 hits. Uh, and, you know, everyone wondered, you know, this time last week when we were wondering, what's the softball? What's, a, what's the story of the softball team? Are they the same as last year? I mean, are they good? Or what, what can they find themselves? And they just went out and they just showed, made a statement, really. You know, six, and like I said, six home runs, two by Kenzie Hansen. Uh, amazing game. Uh, just they really solidified themselves as the number one team in the country.
1: Yeah, you. I mean, you said it, I. I have a personal rule that I think most should apply to: don't pay attention to February results on mm-hmm. baseball, softball. I mean, we're just so early in the year, all that. But oh you taking the loss they took, falling one spot, and then getting to to play the team they they fell behind. You you said it right, statement. They got to come there and just make an absolute statement. And uh, I do think you know. Again, I, I don't know that winner lost that day. So much matter, but I think we learned a lot about this team that has some new faces that is maybe looking for new leaders in terms of how they responded uh, and enforced. Uh, this this happens to look a lot like the the Sooners. I think we've become familiar with.
0: Well, Eli, you remember UCLA? I mean, UCLA is one of the most powerful teams. Yeah. The last two games, counting last year's World Series game, OU's outscored them twenty-nine to nothing in the last two games. I think uh, they the OU might be in their heads a little bit. Um, <laughs> we had a chance to probably- talk. Oh, go ahead, go ahead.
1: Well, and that is where I think statement, you know, a 2-1 win over the weekend, we, we'd still be talking about, you know, the two best teams in the country next to each other. The way the Sooners went, went about their business, they've we'll, – we'll you know, I'm sure we'll see them again. I hope we see that matchup again. But until then, OU has made the statement and separated themselves into a, a totally separate group with that.
0: Oklahoma, we had a chance to talk to Alex Tarocco yesterday at a, at a press conference. It rained, now the new Michigan transfer is 4-0, and she is the Big 12 – uh, Pitcher of the week after shutting out UCLA three hits, uh she's taking it all in stride. And I think um, Patty Gasso has just been impressed with you know she's just her attitude, her her fiery attitude on the mound. uh She's she's excited about pitching her, and it's really. And I asked Patty about this. She has four really good pitchers now. How do you rotate them? And she said it's a challenge. It's going to be something that they're going to have to really look at. They have plans every game. They have a starter. They have a Someone, they're going to come out of the bullpen and they have a closer. They have a plan for each game, but they just haven't had to use that. Uh, And all four pitchers have been had success. And out of the four, Jordy Jordy Ball has the lowest ERA. Imagine that problem when you have Jordy Ball as your fourth best ERA on a pitching staff of four. So Oklahoma, pitching-wise, they're doing good. Hitting-wise, Jocelyn Erickson, the freshman, 571. She's top ten in the country in hitting. Uh, Just a powerful left-handed batter, five home runs this season. Something about the name Jocelyn. Eli, something about Yeah, it. man, they
1: got to work on that pipeline more. I, <laughs> uh, they've, uh,
0: they've,
1: they found something there.
0: Yeah. Uh, 26 extra base hits last weekend in five games, 27 singles. I, that's an incredible stat. 27 singles, 20, and they had 53 hits overall. So 26 went for extra bases. They yeah. were a good, bat. And, you know, we're talking about pitching. We're talking about offense. Something I asked Patty Gasso and she's excited, ecstatic about is their defense. Uh, their, their fielding percentage is nine ninety and, uh, It's funny because you mentioned this. The fields weren't that good in California because of weather. And there were the balls taking crazy hops. And they didn't have an error this weekend in California. So they're 990. They're uh, top three in the country in fielding. So offense, defense, uh, pitching, I tell you, it's the perfect combination uh, for a softball team right now.
1: So the takeaway is that OU softball under Patty Gasso is still elite. That's our big takeaway.
0: I, I think so. I mean, I tell you, crushing news to the softball world and <laughs> lightning all the uh, the Sooner Nation. I know Sooner Nation's excited. Um, lastly, baseball. Last but not least, for sure, um, had a game canceled today. I think they were yesterday, right? They're supposed to go Arlington. Yeah, Harvard. they were
1: supposed to be in uh, at UT Arlington yeah. on their way to uh, another tournament this weekend yeah. in Frisco. Uh, weather hit and, and they canceled it. That's another feature of February baseball, but. You know, I guess on the flip side of what I was saying before, don't read into too much. I mean, this last week, you know, on Friday, OU fell to two and four. They dropped the opener against Ryder. And, you know, if you go on Twitter, you can see Sooner fans, baseball fans, you know, wondering what's up. They come back, they win the next two games, and and now they're back at 500. and, And it was a really encouraging weekend beyond climbing back to win that series. You got all three of their starters, all three transfers. Put together a really nice line, uh, just just quality pitching. I mean, they were they weren't lights out. They weren't throwing the no hitters that you're seeing up in Stillwater, but just the kind of the kind of pitching you need from your starters to keep you in games. And then with that, the offense heating up. Guys like Anthony McKenzie hitting exceptionally well. Bryce Madron, the the, the tr- junior college transfer, leads the nation in walks. Wallace Clark, the Holland Hall guy, he, he's hitting. So they're they're getting there. And I I think I mean, if you want evidence of, of what you know february versus april means in college baseball look at last year we'll say it a ton of times ou I, I think with skip johnson is a lot more concerned with with april may and june and where they are then than a result in february so i think they're they're building towards it they're kind of back on even keel uh, we'll see what they do this weekend so they got three power conference opponents in frisco uh and that that might be kind of our next best uh measuring stick for them
0: Oklahoma, and I failed to mention Oklahoma, home opener for softball this weekend. They got Illinois, hey. Chicago, 3 o'clock Friday, followed by a game against uh, uh, Kentucky. You can think about it. At uh, 5.30, and then uh, they swip, switch opponents, and they play five, 3 and 5.30 on Saturday. So four two games against both those opponents, too. So And mm-hmm. another, thing, another thing about baseball, you know, they didn't play a game yesterday, but I drove on the way to the softball uh, interviews. I drove by the baseball stadium. They were having an inter-squad. Boomer was playing Sumer on the there you go. So they were getting their work in. I mean, that's important. They're, they're, they're keeping uh, keeping on schedule and they're getting their work in. Eli, we've had a long time today, man. You want to...
1: I know, we went long. Well, it's a going to be a good sports weekend in Norman. We laid it out. You got gymnastics tomorrow night where I'd say, I don't know if, you, if you're if you not, if you're around, I don't know what excuse you have not to, to go for the Lloyd Noble Center for that. Uh, you've got basketball Saturday, OU, uh, TCU, and then you've got softball throughout the weekend. So it's a good sports weekend in Norman. we I hope, set it up pretty well put it on the platter uh in our what yeah we went pretty long here eric but i hope we uh hope our bosses don't yell at us and hope people enjoy it but you can find us as always anywhere you get your podcast: spotify google apple anywhere TulsaWorld.com. we've got a lot of great stuff out eric is covering the the hell out of softball and, and women's hoops who are both at really exciting times in their seasons uh We've got, we'll have men's basketball all the way through. We've got a story on Doc Sadler up right now. So there's tons at TulsaWorld.com from us and our colleagues who cover Tulsa and Oklahoma State. We're as good as ever. And so thank you for listening. And uh, Eric, we'll be back next week.